Well, this morning, we're blessed to have Eric Buer here. He is the president and founder of Gateways. And he's going to share with us from the Word today. I want to tell you a little bit about Eric. He's the husband to Kim, father of three daughters. This ministry started 20 years ago. And uh, it has really grown. It, it was the cover story and focused on the family recently. And Chuck Colson said this. He said, I applaud Gateways for its tremendous work of equipping parents and teachers so they can help our children and grandchildren understand the importance of our Christian heritage. That's a task that we should all take up. So let's welcome Eric. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. As Pastor Rob mentioned, I have uh, three daughters. And last night, we had a sleepover with two of their cousins. I was sitting at the dinner table thinking, oh, Lord, I've got five girls here. And uh, I slept, uh, slipped out early this morning to be here in time. And um, so, we'll see, what I missed was um, five girls trying to get in the bathroom, one pounding on the door saying it's taken too long for the other one to have a shower, and somebody else hogging the mirror with their makeup. These are, by the way, 17, 15, 14, 12, and 10. Um, uh, somebody else not getting out of bed, somebody complaining about their breakfast, and we just got a Yorkie poo who's having bladder issues. <laughs> so he's running around the house, hoping somebody will notice him so he can be let out to go to the bathroom. Right about now, he's probably knocked over the lamp and wet on the floor. So I mean it when I say it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. <laughs> Nah, they're lovely. Ah. Do you want to experience God in your life? I think we all would love to experience God in our lives on a regular, moment-by-moment basis. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about the five steps to experiencing God in your life. And we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan to do that. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Luke 10. We're going to pick it up at 25, verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it's on the overhead. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and went off leaving him half dead. And by chance a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite also, when he came to the place, and saw him pass by on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put put him on his beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. When we talk about the five steps to experiencing God, they spell the word faith, F-A-I-T-H. And in your notes, you can put down this. The first step is this. Focus on those around you. Focus on those around you. You see... I'm sure that that Samaritan, when he, when he stepped out on his journey, and, and Jericho is about 15 to 20 miles away from Jerusalem, and it was a fairly uh, uh, common thing for people to be traveling up and down that road. Uh, the priests, actually, who, who ministered in Jerusalem lived oftentimes in Jericho. And so when they would fulfill their duties, then they would go back and go back home to Jericho. And so this was something that very possibly could have happened, uh, whether it was a parable or actually an incident. But uh, Jesus was using this to say, you all know this terrible road full of robbers. And here's a man who is wounded, who is beaten, stripped, and left half dead. And it was the Samaritan who was going on that journey for business. Uh, obviously, he had come back and forth on that path pretty regularly because he tells the innkeeper, when I come back, He wasn't expecting to find somebody that he had to stop his journey for, spend some money on. But God put that wounded person in his path. So often we want to go serve the Lord and and we we look at all the things we could do around the world and there's wonderful ministries doing work around the world and and short-term mission trips are great things to do. But God has put people in your path every day. Every day. What are you doing with who God has put in your path? You know, at Gateways to Better Education, we help parents and teachers focus on those around them in the public schools. And our approach is not an us versus them mentality. Our approach is we are them. We're the teachers, the parents, the administrators, the school board members. How can we, in our sphere of influence... Help somebody experience God. Help somebody move from fear, which is so common in the public schools, to freedom of what they can really do. But around you, well, many of you have kids in public schools or grandkids in public schools. Well, around you are your children or your grandchildren. God has put them in your path. Here in your church, all of you, have children in this church who are in your path. Most of the time we just kind of say, get out of the way. But we have an obligation. God has put those children, He's given you the privilege of helping those children become the next generation of the church. So often we see it as a nuisance. 
We struggle to find workers to help in the nursery, to help in the Sunday school program, to help in the midweek Bible study program. Are you kidding me? This is an opportunity that... Who else has an opportunity like this to raise the next generation? To help the next generation understand what it means to experience God in their life. What a privilege that is. We're at a pivot point in our country. You know, so often we have thought, well, when they get to college, that's when they lose their faith because they get all those liberal professors. New research has shown, no, that's not the case. Research just last year examined those 20-year-olds, 20 to 29-year-olds, who've left the church, and these are evangelical churches, who've left the church, and they surveyed them, extensive surveys, asking them why they left and when they left. What they found surprised them. It wasn't in college. It was in middle school. They started checking out, if not physically, at least mentally, in middle school. Forty percent of them. Another 45% checked out in high school. Only 10% checked out in college. So our assumption that, oh, well, they're fine because they're going to church during, you know, their elementary, middle school, high school, they're in the high school group. What we're finding is, no, kids are checking out mentally long before that. We must invest ourselves in the youth and the children that God has placed in our path right here in this church. If we don't, we're neglecting a duty and a wonderful privilege. What about your co-workers or your neighbors, people who write in your community? You know, my wife's got a wonderful ministry to um, retail clerks. She, everywhere she goes, she would be on the, on the personality scale. You could call her an expressive. And she just loves to talk to people. And, uh, but she has this wonderful ministry, and she's actually very uh, strategic about it. When she goes to Target, she makes sure she gets in the same line for the same clerk every time. So she gets to know that person and talks to them, and they get to know her. Uh, when she goes to the grocery store, same thing. Uh, when she gets her nails done, same thing. Building relationships. She goes to the, she's on a diet, but she goes to a, a donut store to have coffee because she's ministering to the family that owned that store. Some people have to sacrifice to serve the Lord, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's a wonderful thing. And, and we have, you know, the, the problem is oftentimes the language barrier. I mean, it's uh, uh, the Persian man who, uh, in Target, and it was the, the Vietnamese uh, woman in the nail shop and so forth. But, so we've gotten Bibles in Farsi, and, you know, we've got different languages. We're given Bibles. She invites them all over for Thanksgiving, which is fine. And uh, they've come to church with us. And there are side benefits, by the way, because um, uh, this one uh, uh, in, at the nail shop, uh, this Vietnamese family, the, the owner, the wife, was... Uh, so concerned about her husband. And, and Kim was, kept ministering to her and talking to her and finally got the wife and the husband to go to church. And it so turned around the husband that the next time she went in, she said, anytime you come in, get a manicure, I give you a free pedicure. <laughs> so, you know, there are benefits to this as well. But, uh, but you see, focusing on who has God put in my path 
And how can I show the love of God to them? In just these everyday little things. Everyday little things. They don't have to be the big things. Just relationships. You know, the, the, the parable or the story that Jesus told, the man was stripped and beaten and left half dead. Now, we see that in the public schools all the time. Teachers are, are stripped oftentimes of their faith. Oh, you can, you can be a Christian in the evenings and the weekends, but when you get into that class, you have to act like an atheist. They're beaten down by a, a professor in their, in their college or, or an administrator or a colleague or a parent. You can't do that. That's not right. Leave your Christianity at home. And they're beaten down. And they're left half dead. They don't feel like whole people. Because they don't feel like they can integrate their faith with their profession. I'm reminded uh, a few years ago of a, an elementary school music teacher. And uh, she contacted us. We, we actually we produce these little greeting cards, holiday cards. Um, we have a Christmas card. I don't know if some of you might have seen them, but we have these Christmas cards. Parents give them to their kids' teachers uh, to explain that you can teach all about the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Uh, in our story, Santa visits a teacher on Christmas Eve, and, and you know, he, he, she catches him uh, putting the presents under the tree, and he looks at his list. He says, hey, you've been a very good teacher, even though you've had Tommy Wigglebottom in your class. But he says, you know, I have one question. How come you're not teaching the real story? And she says, uh, you mean the story of baby Jesus? And Santa says, is there any other story? And she says, well, I can't do that. I'm a public school teacher. Now, in our story, uh, besides making toys, um, Santa's very well versed in American case law. And he begins to explain to her, you know, he's not just making toys all the time. He's got, he's got staff to do that. Um, so, so he explains to her what the law really says. And at the end of the story, he says, I guess I've given you the best gift I could have given you this year. I gave you the gift of freedom. For years, you lived with a gag order over your own mouth. And I've given you now something that you can give to your students. The story and the, and the recognition of Christmas that you had as a child growing up. So someone gave this to this music teacher. And she contacted us later and she said, you know, for six years, I thought I felt like I was denying my faith because I wouldn't teach the kids any Christmas carols about Jesus. It was Frosty the Snowman and Jingle Bells and Rudolph, but nothing about Jesus. And she said, then I got your material and I realized I could have been doing this all along. And she said, so so I went into the class during the Christmas season, and I, I said to the students, okay, this year we're going to learn some new songs. We're going to learn some songs about Jesus Christ. And she said, Eric, they actually gasped. Some of them thought that I'd said a swear word. They had never heard the name of Jesus Christ in any other form but a swear word. And so she had to be a history teacher for a few minutes and explain, here's who this person was. Here's what the story is. Here's why we have this holiday. And here are some songs about him. She had been beaten and stripped and left half dead, but now she was alive. Because somebody who was in her path ministered to her with information that gave her freedom. 
So the question is this, who has God put in your path? That's the challenge for you this week. I want you to begin thinking, who has God put in your path? If you've got kids or grandkids, put them down there first. What are you doing to help them experience God? And then what about your neighbors, co-workers? Where do you go shop? All these people, in some form or fashion, we must have compassion on because they're hurting. And we can reach them. So focus on those around you. Secondly, the second step in the five steps of faith is ask God to open doors. Ask God to open doors. You may say, well, I don't know how to open these doors. I don't know how to make this happen. I want to share Jesus, but I'm not sure how to do it. Don't worry about that. God knows. Ask God for open doors. That's what Paul did. There's a wonderful verse of Scripture that I, I often incorporate into my prayers. It's Psalm 123.2. If you turn there in your Bibles quickly, Psalm 123.2 simply says this. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master and the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shall be gracious to us. In the ancient world, oftentimes, masters did not speak to their servants, but would use hand motions to direct them in what they wanted them to do. So what was the job of the servant or the maid? It was always to be watching the master to see what he or she was directing them to do. And so our eyes need to be on the Lord, seeing what His hand is leading us to do. So when I pray, I often will question God. Now, I don't question God like, you know, why'd you do this? I question God this way. Lord, now you put so-and-so in my life. Help me see why you did that. You see, you're questioning, looking for the Master's hand, how He's going to be directing you. So ask God for open doors. When one of my daughters was in junior high, uh, you know, when they're in elementary school, you can be quite involved and everything. And then they get into the secondary level and it's a little harder to connect with the teachers and be on campus and that sort of thing. So I was praying, Lord, I want to be an influence in my daughter's life in her school, but I don't know how. Lord, help me see your hand of direction. A week later, I noticed she's doing a homework assignment for her science class, and uh, she's working on this worksheet, and, and maybe some of you are familiar with this. Um, there's a, uh, there's a, a theory in evolution that, called Haeckel's embryos. Um, I, maybe you've seen this illustration. A hundred years ago, there was a, a German evolutionist by the name of uh, Hegel, Haeckel, and he ha- had this idea that Common, because uh, embryos looked the same, whether it was a, a, an ape, a man, um, a chick, a salamander, a turtle, these, they had similar uh, looks to them. Therefore, that proved common ancestry. And uh, so this was his pet theory, and he actually drew uh, a chart of these different embryos. The problem is that during his lifetime, his own colleagues 
called him out on it and said, wait a second, you, you fudged on those drawings to make them look more similar than they really are. And so that has been discredited in the, even in the scientific community for a hundred years. It's still in your kids' textbooks. Okay? Still in your kids' textbooks. My kids go to school locally. And so she's, uh, she's going through this worksheet, and I notice Haeckel's embryos there, and I go, oh, Kristen, you know, uh, I've got some information about that. Uh, that's not actually accurate. Really? I said, yeah. So we went to the website, discovery.org, wonderful website, discovery.org. And one of the, uh, the researchers there had written a wonderful article on Haeckel's embryos for science teachers. And the way he wrote it was really well, because he said, he didn't say, you know, therefore God created the heavens and the earth. He said, if you teach this and students come to realize later that it's not true, that it's been disproven, then they may question other things that you teach them. So it undermines your own authority as a teacher. So we printed that out. Kristen read it. Then we watched the DVD I have called The Mystery of Life on uh, how intricate life is and how it's, it's obviously evidence of a designer, not chance. So we watched that. It was a wonderful uh, learning moment, a teachable moment for my daughter. So she's, you know, I said, you might want to give this to your teacher. She said, yeah, I'll do that. So she took it to class next day, and, and she came up to the teacher, and she said, you know, my dad says this is not accurate. And, oh, yes, it is, Kristen. It's, it's, in, it's in the textbook. Well, here, you read this. They were working on a lab that day. So she said, here, you, you read this article. Okay, so she read the article. Afterwards, she came up to Kristen. She said, you know, that was really interesting. I never knew that. Kristen said, well, I have a DVD you could watch, too. No, that's okay. <laughs> but it planted a seed. And, um, and at the end of each unit, students were supposed to re- write a reflection on what they learned and what they thought about what they learned. And, and my fiery redhead, <laughs> she wrote, I wish you'd taught me more accurate information. We're, we're working with her. <laughs> she, she doesn't hesitate to speak her mind. So ask God to open doors. I, I wouldn't have known to talk to that teacher about this, but here God opened a door for me to minister to my daughter and to minister to the teacher and plant a seed there. Step three. So after you've focused on those around you, ask God to open doors, then invest in preparation. Invest in preparation. You see, I wouldn't have known to walk through that door had I not known about the article and the research on Haeckel's embryos. So whatever it is in your sphere of influence, be prepared to have the kind of conversation that will help somebody experience God. Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians 4. Colossians 4, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Paul says, Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders. Not meaning outside the door, but outside of the church. Making the most of the opportunity, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, 
so that you may know how you should respond to each person, so that you know how you should respond. That takes preparation. You know, in Acts 2, Peter's famous evangelistic message, and he uses the Old Testament to share the gospel. He was prepared. He'd done his research. Do you know the gospel well enough to share it with somebody? God opens a door and I, I, I can't step through that because I don't know what to say. You really have to ask yourself, can I share the gospel? I was talking to our youth pastor and, and he took the kids on a, on a, um, a trip um, to a conference on evangelism and sharing your faith. And one of the exercises he had him do is he said, I want you to write down the gospel. What is the good news? And he said, Eric, half of them didn't know it. Half of them didn't know it. So don't assume just because they're going to church, they understand the gospel. I don't assume that because you're sitting in the pew here, you understand the gospel. Oh, you might be a Christian. But you don't understand it well enough to share it with somebody. Do you know the gospel? At Gateways, what we do is we help people, we help them prepare for when God opens a door in their life at school. For instance, did you realize that kids at school, the U.S. Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education, the federal government has issued guidelines for the last 15 years explaining what students' religious liberties are at school. That students have the freedom to pray. They have the freedom to read their Bibles in class. They have the freedom to witness to their classmates. They have the freedom to include their faith in their homework, their artwork, their oral presentations, talent shows, and all the rest. That teachers have the right to get together and pray before school or during their lunch period, and they can pray and they can read their Bibles. They can have a Bible study there right on campus. The federal government has outlined these laws and put them into a guideline for teachers. But you have to be prepared to be able to share that as God opens a door to defend students' religious liberties. And most of the time, it doesn't take any kind of lawsuit or anything. It's just giving the right information to the right people opens the door. Another example of of being prepared is, did you understand that in California, California is the most open state when it comes to teaching students about the Bible and Christianity. We did research on every state's academic standards. We're a national ministry, work all over the country, and we did research on 50 state standards. And where the Bible and Christianity are expected to be taught. And do you know the two best states? California and Massachusetts. Yeah. California, far and away, is the best. Uh, The the academic standards, and these have been on the books for about ten years. The academic standards here in California. Every sixth grader is expected to know the gospel. And here's what it actually says. Students are to note the origins of Christianity and the Jewish messianic prophecies. The life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth as described in the New Testament. That means they'd have to read the New Testament. 
and how St. Paul helped define and spread Christian beliefs. And in case teachers don't know what those are, it puts in parentheses, for example, belief in the Trinity, resurrection, and salvation. That's state standard. You can explain the gospel. Can't have an altar call to the chalkboard, but you can explain the gospel in understanding this period of history when the church emerged. In the seventh grade, they're supposed to know the theology of Calvin and Luther and the history of the English Bible. In the eighth grade, they're supposed to know how America was founded on Judeo-Christian religious thinking. It goes on and on, K through 12. We have these in a, in a sheet, by the way. They're out on an information table after the service if you want to get one. Kindergarten through 12th grade, here's what the academic standards say. And did you know in California we actually have a law that protects a teacher when he or she reads the Bible to students when it's relevant to the academic subject? There's a law that protects them. Most people assume, oh, the laws are all against this, the courts are all against this. No, they're not. So you must invest in preparation so that you are prepared when a door is open to give that information to the right people. I was preaching up in uh, Pasadena at the First Church of the Nazarene and got done talking about all the different things you could be doing in a public school, including the state standards and whatnot. Afterwards, I was out uh, greeting people and, and a gentleman came up to me and he said, I just retired from the L.A. schools. In my 30 years of teaching, I never knew I could have done all the things that you said I could have done. And he walked away. And the next gentleman in line, you couldn't have scripted this better, next gentleman in line was a first-year teacher. And he had tears in his eyes. And he said, I've been so frustrated not knowing what I could do as a Christian in a public school. And this changes everything. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people who are beaten down, stripped and left half dead in our culture. And God has put you in their path to help them understand what they can do. Whether it's in a public school situation or whether it's with the gospel, whether it's just showing them love and kindness, you could make a significant difference in their life. Jeff and Carol Day are doing that. Jeff is a tremendous uh, uh, part of our ministry. Ministering to people all over the country as our director of operations, keeping things together. We, Chuck Colson, this week, uh, Thursday, Friday, and, and again on Monday, he's been featuring gateways on his Breakpoint radio commentary. And they link back to our website and get information. And we've been getting a response about every 30, 40 seconds. It's just overwhelming. And Jeff, because he's so talented in operational things, has put together a wonderful streamline to make this all work and minister to hundreds and hundreds of people who are contacting us for help and information. So I appreciate your support for what Jeff and Carol are doing and what they mean to the ministry because they are making an impact on people all over the nation. Helping them be prepared. I think of the impact that preparation can help in a school. I think of Arnie Conrad. Arnie is a sixth grade reading teacher. And uh, he got our information through uh, Focus on the Family. He got referred to us. He called up and, and uh, he's up in the Modesto area. And, and he said, um, Eric, I, I need your help. I, I'm in trouble. He said, I, um, I'm a sixth grade reading teacher and, and I... 
sometimes, you know, when I, when I teach reading, I'll, I'll have kids read different stories for cultural literacy. And, and, uh, now, and sometimes I have the kids read a Bible story. And now I've got a parent who's all over me. You can't have a Bible in the public school. I'm going to get an attorney. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, we're going to get this kicked out. He said, I, I know what I'm doing in my heart is right, but can you help me? I've got to meet with the principal on Thursday. And uh, I don't know what to say. I said, Arnie, sixth grade, California? <laughs> Let me share what you're supposed to be doing. And so I read him these standards. You know, when it comes to learning about Judaism... Uh, it says that they are supposed to read and discuss biblical stories that have had an impact on Western civilization and our literature, for example. And then it lists the Ten Commandments, the Exodus, uh, uh, the creation story, Ruth and Naomi, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den. This is what kids are supposed to read in the sixth grade. So he said, man, I, I, I think we've got those standards somewhere here in school. And so he went and he got them and he pulled, call, called me back. He said, I can't believe it. And he went to his meeting on Thursday and he was able to say, well, not only did I realize that I was doing the right thing, but I should have been doing all these other things as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> but you see, being prepared with that information, you don't have to be the expert, but you can be the courier of the information to help connect that person so that they can be free to do what they would love to do, but they feel so afraid to do. So, the question is, how are you preparing yourself? Wonderful to see that you've got evangelism explosion in this church. I encourage all of you to be a part of that. What an opportunity. God has put people in your path. This, this ministry of, of evangelism explosion helps give you the, the way to talk about the gospel in very natural ways. They are easy to implement. I know after the service, you've got a meeting right over here after the second service on children's ministry. I would love to see that room packed out with people because you see God has put children in your life. You say, well, I don't have any kids. They're all grown up and moved out every Sunday. They're all running around here. God's put them in your path. Don't shoo them away. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? to invest in the next generation of the church because we don't want to lose them. And unfortunately, in too many cases, we are. So how are you preparing yourself? The fourth step in the steps of faith to being a good Samaritan and ministering to people around you is to take a step of faith with God. Take a step of faith with God. You've been uh, focusing on those around you. You've asked God to open doors. You've invested in some preparation. When God opens the door, step through it. Don't hesitate. Romans 10:15, Paul says, "How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things." Now he wasn't speaking of literal feet. My feet are not beautiful. But your feet can be beautiful when you're carrying the right message. That's his point. When you're bringing good news to people, those are beautiful feet. And you can all have beautiful feet, no matter what they look like, by carrying the right message of truth to people around you. 
favorite passage of mine in Scripture is, is the very last uh, verses of Mark. Uh, Mark 16, 19 through 20. I'll just read it to you here. You don't need to turn to it. But it's at the end, and, and, and it's kind of summing things up, and Jesus is ascending into heaven, and it says this. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into, into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them. Wait a second, he just went up to heaven and was seated in the right hand. And then the next verse says, they went out, and he went with them. That's right. Because when you take a step of faith with God, you don't do it alone. He is with you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through uh, 6, 1. Let me just read it. It's kind of a long passage, but I want you to capture something here that's, that's incredibly important to the Christian life. And so often we lose it. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come. New things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him and are working together with him. You see, it's not I'm down here and God's up there and I'm trying to get him to come down here. The whole message of Paul, the message of the gospel is your sins are forgiven, but you've been given new life. And the new life is that God himself dwells in you. So when you take a step of faith with God, it's literally with God because he is working through you and in you. Ian Thomas, in his book, The Indwelling Life of Christ, put it this way. The Christian life is nothing less than the life which he lived then lives now by him through you. So take a step of faith with God because he is with you. And finally, fifth, help someone experience God. Help someone experience God. Imagine if between services, I went up to the pastor's office to have a little rest, drink a little water, and sit down. And while I'm there alone, I had a heart attack, and I died. Right there. Nobody knows it. Door's closed. I collapse right on the floor. I go up to heaven, and Jesus greets me. How you doing? Good to see you, Eric. Good to be here. He says, you know what, though? I've, I've got some things I, I want to do down on earth. Uh, some people I want to reach that are right around where you used to live. And, and so, can I borrow your body to go do that? Sure. And so, laying there in the, in the pastor's office, all of a sudden, I come back up awake. And I come out here. And I preach the next sermon. Hopefully it would be better than this one. What would be the difference? How long would it take 
for people to see the difference because it's Christ speaking in me, through me. Folks, that's an interesting illustration, but it's a real truth. Christ is in you and he wants to speak through you. The problem is we're in these mortal bodies that get in the way all the time. Are these emotions that, that cloud the issues. The whole idea is yielding ourselves to what God wants to do through us. Um, I think of how I had this experience with God. You know, once I was uh, feel convicted about not sharing the gospel enough. And so I was praying, Lord, I really want to share the gospel more, but... You know, it's, it's difficult for me and, and one-on-one. And, and so could you make it an easy one? You know, give me somebody that's easy to share with. So I'm at the pharmacy and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a prescription and I'm sitting there and I'm reading the newspaper and, and this gentleman's next to me, this Vietnamese man, and he says, you know, I, I, uh, I noticed you're reading the stock page. He says, you have uh, you invested in stock? And I said, oh, well, some. And, you know, one thing I've learned is if you're going to be a fisher of men, sometimes you've got to throw out some hooks. And so I said, uh, you know, I, I kind of abide by the idea that it's better to lay up treasure in heaven than treasure on earth. He goes, oh, you read the Bible? I said, yeah. He said, I used to read the Bible. I said, really? He said, yeah. In fact, when I was in Vietnam growing up, I studied to be a priest. I said, really? So I went out to my, I said, just a second. I went out to my car. My father-in-law is a Gideon, passes out Gideon Bibles, and I had a little Gideon New Testament. If you know, in the front, it's got all the different languages of, of John 3.16. So I brought it back, and I turned to the Vietnamese one, and I said, here, read this. And he read that, and he goes, yeah, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I said, it is. He said, well, I've kind of gotten away from God. He said, you know, and I, after the war, I was in the war, and then after the war, I came over here, and I got involved with making money and the American dream, and, and I... God's not in my life anymore. I said, I got another story for you. And I turned to the prodigal son. And I said, he's the father and you're the prodigal, aren't you? He said, yeah, I am. Now, you see, because God opened the door, I didn't have to worry about it. (laughs) It wasn't my message. It was his message. It wasn't my opportunity. It was his opportunity. So I felt like Billy Graham at that moment. I said, (laughs) I said, you feel empty inside, don't you? He goes, I do. I said, I don't. He says, you don't? I said, no, because God's in my life. He goes, wow. I said, you want to come back to God, don't you? He says, I do. I said, you want to do that right now? He said, I do. I said, let's pray. And we prayed a prayer of repentance in the pharmacy. And, you know, my wife said later, you ever notice how long it took the pharmacist to get you the prescription? It was like 45 minutes. I know, that poor guy back there, I can't make head or tail of this. I'm trying to put together this, so, you know. Total confusion, but he, God was putting him on hold until I was finished with this guy. But you see, that was simply saying, God, show me what you want me to do. And then taking a step of faith when he opened that door. Tell you the end here, the story of Arnie, Arnie Conrad, that sixth grade reading teacher. After he learned what he could do, then he called me back and he said, I want to start an after school Bible reading club. Help me understand how to do that so I can get it as a club. And we wrote it up for him. And now he still has students meeting after school reading the Bible because it's part of their academic understanding. 
From that, he took our free-to-speak material on what students' religious liberties are. And he gave them to all his students, and he's got a colleague who's giving them out to his students as well. So those students understand that they have freedom to express their faith. The encouragement it's giving to the Christian students there. Then he realized there's not a baccalaureate service in their school district, and so he initiated a baccalaureate service. They've got hundreds of people now coming out uh, to a church service. that They reinstituted a baccalaureate service. Then he started doing our Bible study. We have a Bible study for parents on what you can do. Ten topics. We have them out here at the information table. And so he started leading that Bible study. And people who graduated from that study, one was a teacher. Her name was Lori. And she was a drama teacher. And she said, I never realized all the things I could do. This revolutionized my teaching. She said, I went to, uh, I went to the kids in my drama class and our church was putting on a big Easter production. And I said, yeah, you want to see how a production is put on behind the scenes? And so they did a, a, a little uh, field trip and looked at all the scenes because it's a big production, big church. And then she said to the students and their parents while they were there looking at the backstage stuff, by the way, we're having the production on these nights um, leading up to Easter. You're welcome to come, but I want to let you know there will be a gospel presentation, an invitation to become a Christian. If that's something you want, don't feel comfortable with, you're welcome not to come. And uh, she said about 30 parents and their kids came. And 10 of them accepted Christ. Because Arnie learned what he could do. He helped somebody else learn what they could do. And they helped somebody experience God by knowing Him as Savior. So watch for what God does in your life. I want to close with one quick story. I know I'm going way over time, but I hope that's all right. Fourth grade teacher, North Carolina sends me a letter with a note from one of her students. She says this, I'm sending a copy of a letter from a fourth grade student who was in my class last year. Tommy is a child who is deserted by his mother at an early age. The father was left alone with three boys to raise. Tommy's from a rough background where cursing and fighting are a way of life. Last year he'd been suspended the maximum number of days allowed before a child was expelled from our school. Even though his dad had recently remarried, Tommy was constantly in trouble, uninterested in learning, and failing most subjects. At Easter time, using the Gateway's suggested lesson plans, I shared with my students the biblical account of Christ's death and resurrection. All of my students enjoyed the lesson, but Tommy was fascinated by this story of God's love and sacrifice and asked many questions. Shortly after returning from Easter vacation, Tommy brought a small red Gideon New Testament to class. He explained that his stepmother had given it to him. Knowing this child's low reading ability, I bought a children's Bible and presented it to him. Well, Tommy's eyes lit up. He remarked, cool, and began reading it immediately. This was only the beginning of a peace and a happiness I'd never seen in this child. Tommy did not get into any more fights the rest of the school year and approved all of his grades. The Lord said that his word does not return void, and I know that a seed was planted in the life of a young boy needing God's love and guidance. And that's why I'm grateful for an organization like Gateways. She goes on. But then she included his note that he wrote to her, thanking her for the Bible. Dear Mrs. Chandler, thanks for the Bible. As soon as you gave it to me, I opened it up and started reading it. I'm on page 39 so far. And I'm going to share it with my mom and my dad and my four brothers and my three sisters. I hope they like it. It'll not have a torn page or be written on. 
It asked me a question. It asked, do you thank other people? And I did not thank you. That's why I write this letter. Thank you. Love, Tommy. Here was a little boy who was headed down a wrong direction. And a teacher who knew what she could do and did it and changed his life. Ladies and gentlemen, there are Tommies in all of our schools throughout this community. But the good news is there's Mr. and Mrs. Chandler's there too who are dying to help those kids but don't know how. And we can make a difference in their life. You can make a difference in the lives that God has put in your path. And I challenge you to do that this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the privilege to be your ambassadors, to actually speak for you, to allow you to speak through us. Lord, help this to be a reality in our lives. Help us to identify those that you've put in our path. In Jesus' name, amen.